Hey friends, it is a new episode and with a new episode brings a new guest and I couldn't be more excited about our conversation with Megan. She is a self-proclaimed skeptic and I will let her describe to you exactly where she falls on the scale of belief and disbelief. Um, One of the reasons that we created this podcast was for conversations like this. So I thought it was incredible um, that Megan was brave enough to come on and share some of her thoughts that, um, spoiler alert, disagree with Christianity a little bit. She had some thoughts, she had some questions, she had some doubts, and we talked about those. So I'm incredibly excited for you to meet Megan. Um, here's one thing about this podcast that's going to differ from most, um, we got to talking and we didn't want to stop. And so we are going to do this thing in two parts. So in just a moment, you're going to hear our conversation with Gina and Megan part one. And, uh, next week you'll have a privilege of coming back and hearing the rest. So here's episode five conversation with a skeptic part one. All right, so we've got some friends with us today to talk about a new topic. Can you guys uh, introduce yourself? Hey, so I'm Gina, and I am a senior at high school. I'm 18 years old, and I brought one of my very best friends to join us. Hi, I'm Megan, and I'm also a senior in high school, and I'm 17. Awesome. I'm Mark, and I'm 36. Okay. And just old, and I'm about to die. I'm just that oh, no. old. Yeah, this is awful. Off the rails. Off the rails. No. Um, all right. So today is going to be a very different episode. Um, I say that, I think I say that every time, by the <laughs> way. We're like five episodes in. Like, this is going to be a crazy episode. Now, um, so we've got Megan with us. And uh, Megan, tell us a little bit about yourself in the sense that um, you probably have a little bit uh, different of a viewpoint on life than than we have. So tell us about yourself in that so, way. So growing up, uh, you know, my family went to church every Sunday. I did the church summer camps. You know, I I volunteered for the church summer camp. So, you know, it's not that I have I don't have a lot of experience in that area. I have a lot. It's just more of a matter of, you know, do I kind of believe it? Do I want to believe in it? Um, and today, I guess I just kind of want to get a better understanding of maybe why I should, or maybe some reasons for how it would, I guess, be beneficial. Yeah. So, so if you had to, cause the world likes labels, do you have like a, do you have like something like you would say like uh, non-believer, uh, agnostic, atheist, like where would you put yourself there? You know, I, I'm kind of in between, I guess, agnostic and atheist. Like okay. is there, could there be something out there? Yes. Yeah. But you know, would I want to commit to a religion and follow it? I, I don't know. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay. So um, this is, this is, um, interesting because you know we we've only had Christians on the podcast so far, and we're just so privileged to have Megan on the podcast. Megan on the podcast mm-hmm. with us, and uh, so okay, let me just kind of peel back the onion layers. So you, how long you started going to church when you were young, young? Like, yeah. So you probably only remember. Okay, so um, did you like it when you were a kid? Did you like? You know, what's been your experience? You don't have to name names of churches yeah. or anything like that. But, like, what was go, – go a little deeper into, your, like, your experience that way. I mean, if we're going to be honest, I mean, they teach things in church. You know, uh, uh, I have a friend, and she refers to them a lot as morals. Oh, uh, well, you know, it's important to go to church to learn stuff, to get mm-hmm. better morals. But most of the stuff I've learned in church, I feel like it's almost common sense, you know. Yeah. Treat people with respect, be a kind human. And so I didn't necessarily feel like I – 
I needed those lessons because I feel like it's it, it should be inferred right. just to be a good human. Don't in murder people. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, respect your parents, stuff like that. But um, my thing is, it's really just I don't find it entertaining, and I think a lot of kids don't. Like every time we're in church, I mean, my siblings, you can tell they're bored out of their mind. You yeah. know, the kids are. They they don't want to be there because it's just someone talking. Yeah. And I don't find the songs necessarily entertaining either. Right. So I mean. Right. Just not my favorite thing to okay. do. So, so, um, so you're saying you don't go now, or do you go no, with family? No, I, I still go with family. You still go with family. Okay. Yeah. Uh, does your family know that you're kind of like in this place? Like, is this a conversation between you and your family? I mean, I brought it up once, but they didn't really appreciate it. So I, right. you know, so I just, I go just to please them. You know, yeah. I'm not trying to start a fight or anything. I hear anything. that. I hear that. So it's, it's probably difficult. Sunday mornings are somewhat it's not my favorite thing, but I can sit there for an hour, pretend to be, I guess, kind of entertained, yeah. and then go out to eat after. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> so, um, so, so, do you find yourself sitting on Sunday mornings like angry, or or like, man, this seems like, you know, pr- prove it, you know, like, or or this doesn't seem right to me, or I mean, are you able to just completely disconnect? I guess. I mean, I pay attention and I listen to everything they say, but at the end of the day, it's stuff that, I, you know, I've already heard before. It's stuff sure. I already know, sure. you know? And I just, I don't feel like there's been enough evidence to really make me be compelled to believe yeah. in this. Yeah. I, I don't want to say more, okay, I guess I'm more scientific brain, but at the same yeah. time, I just, I don't think there's ever been a, a solid lesson in church where someone tells me why I should believe in this or why yeah. it's real or why yeah. it's true, you know? Yeah. I think I grew, so we just met. And I gave you a little bit about my story, but I know that that's how I grew up in a sense. Now, granted, I think I was a lot younger. Um, well, let me first say this. When do you think you made this, like, when was this transition point between, man, I really don't think I believe or accept this? Um, Is there an age or season in your life? I would say towards maybe, like, middle school or something. School, yeah. as, as bad as this sounds, someone, this was maybe in, like, fourth grade or something. Someone goes, oh, well, do you believe in Santa Claus? I was like, yeah, and they're like, well, he's not real. It's like, all right. Well, then I kind of thought, well, what makes God real? I, I don't have anything to prove that. And then I think it just kind of got worse throughout middle school because I still didn't have any evidence. It yeah. was just more doubts. And yeah. More doubts. Yeah. Santa Claus, by the way, is like maybe the worst thing that we could hand to our kids. Now, I will say like we haven't broken that news to our kids. And I have literally thought about that. Just peek behind the curtain. I've been, every time we, like, I, I hide this elf in our house every night. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I keep thinking about this. My kids, the other day, they were like, no, I'm not asking for, for, from you for this big expensive gift. I'm, I'm asking Santa. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, I really need to, I probably need to pop this balloon sometime soon. It's tough. I know. But like, the truth is, we've handed our kids Santa said you're this magical he's you know believe like and then we hand our kids jesus and it's it's like wait are you handing me these two things that are mythical are you like what can i believe so i totally you know maybe worst illustration ever like santa's not real so i totally understand that i grew up in church and it took a lot for me i in fact i can remember a season in my life probably around fourth grade where I went to a Sunday school class and then I went to the worship service with my family. And I can remember there was a specific guy in my life. He was like a Sunday school teacher, small group leader. And he would like grab me after group and just say, hey, like what's holding you back from believing or being a Christian? And I 
I would have the same response for him every week and it would be, I don't know. I don't feel compelled. I didn't say it like as a fourth grader. I don't feel compelled to be a believer. No, I I just didn't know why um, I should feel this way. I felt almost guilty for not believing. Like, like I felt like I'd missed the train. And, and what is it that everyone else has apparently found that I haven't? And I remember feeling kind of like, I think he loved me and I think he cared about me and I think he wanted the best for me. But also in the same way, I felt, I don't know, some kind of way about, well, I don't know why I don't believe, but I don't. And I've shared, I, maybe I've shared in this podcast, maybe, you know, just in other places, but it was very personal for me. Um, in, in my teenage years, um, once I felt like I reached out to God and, and had this, like I had real teenage problems and I reached out to God and just said, if you're out there, like I need you. And I felt like he responded to me in a personal way. And uh, it wasn't like automatic that I became a believer. It was just kind of listening in and leaning in. And so I, I started paying attention more to the Bible. I started paying attention more to sermons. And I didn't have all my questions answered, but I did kind of have that moment where I was like, yes, I want I want to surrender my life to Jesus. And um, again, didn't have all my questions answered yet, but that's kind of, so I, I feel like I can relate a little bit. Not in the same way that you are right now. Um, you know, because I think I was 16 and I, I started really wrestling at that point. So um, I'm thankful. Just, can I just say how thankful I am that you're bold enough to come out here and say this? Because the truth is, in church, a lot of times we don't have the ability. And I mean, I don't know. You have to have an organization. You have to have, you know, you can't have, let everyone stand up with a microphone and say, well, I don't believe because of this or I don't believe because of that. But, but we don't have this opportunity to have you come and speak about like what's your, so I just want to say, man, so bold, so thankful that you're, you're here. Um, would you say that just, you know, as we keep moving, what are, what are some of the things that, cause I know that you have questions. I know that you, and I'm over here, like, I don't know that I'm going to have answers. And I think I've said on the podcast, the goal isn't for me to provide, like, who am I to have answers, but mm-hmm. maybe I can shed a little bit of light or maybe, maybe this could be part one of a discussion. Who knows? But I'm going to this blind. I don't have questions or anything like that. So, so let's dive in. Like, what are some of the things that, that kind of you so, spark your mind when you're thinking about doubts and stuff? You like know, that? I think a lot of people talk about, I guess, roadblocks or something. I think by far my biggest roadblock is, you know, what makes this real? What evidence is there? And you know, I've also, I guess, kind of mentioned this point before, but there's, you know, thousands of religions out there. What what makes this one the right one? What yeah. makes it the one that's real? How do yeah. I know, you know, the other religions aren't real? Yeah, yeah. That's a tough one. And I think that in a lot of ways, um, one of the things that I've learned over the course of the years is um, there is, first of all, there's, I don't think you can prove or disprove the existence of God because at some level... Of course, my brain, you know, can't handle it. Um, but I know that in a lot of ways, I have chosen to have faith. So I want to start by just saying that I don't know all the science, and I don't know all of the systems, and I don't know how to prove the existence of God. I don't think it's possible to prove the existence of God. I think there's evidence out there, um, and I'm already seeing a need for a part two because I'm going to need to go do my research and come back and offer some of that. Um, but I think that what has happened over the course of the years is I've I've learned through different um, college scenarios or books or or seminars 
um, the evidence that people have given for Jesus histor his, uh, historically um, existing, historically being backed up by by some of that stuff. Now, granted, his claims were his claims, you know? So can you prove that Jesus is the Son of God? No, that's a faith issue. Um, because you could also look at Jesus and say, because there's other people, you know, there's other people that claim to be like the second coming of Jesus. And what are we to do with that? Well, that person's crazy, you know? So so there's there's that end of things. But um, I think we, we do look at historical documents. We look at things that, that back up um, scripture. So, so I have here a Bible and I know that this Bible is just, there's nothing special about these pages, right? There's, they're not special. They're not, they're not from heaven or anything. It's just, it's just publishing. Um, but we've taken the translations from the original manuscripts and things like that, that were written. So, so what do I, what can I, what can I put my trust in here? Um, because this is our only written kind of like, as far as Christianity goes, this, this is our like authority. That's what we would say. Um, and we would we would say that okay so we have all these writings I think there's 40 authors represented um, there's I think 1500 years or so again that I could probably double check that um, and there's a lot of consistency there now I'm sure there's questions about like well what about this and this what about you know do these all match up and um, and so we can talk about that. But when I look at this from cover to cover, um, the, the more I study it, the more I check it against like history and things like that, um, I see the message of Jesus here um, and the oral tradition that we have passed down. And I have chosen to place my faith in it. Now, there are things here that are like, you see it, like I'm, I just happened to turn to Matthew. There's, there are um, miracles that we see described. I have no answers for that. You know, like, how is it that Jesus could walk on water and invite Peter to do the same? Um, I have no answers for that. I, I think I would just say that I believe in a God who is um, who has created all of this, who existed eternity past and, and in future um, and created all of this, created us in our systems. Um, the, the very things that are keeping us breathing right now um, and I and I, I believe in a God who's transcendent above all of that and and can transcend some of those laws, um, but also loves us, you know, eternally and and in a in a divine way that I could never explain. Um, so that's that's what I see. I you know evidence wise, I know there's lots of conversations about what way things could go or couldn't go, and I know there's probably people would say there's evidence against God, there's evidence for God, um, and we can pull all that, you know. And, and move forward with a part two. Gina, what do you think? Um, well, you said that you were science-oriented, and I do remember one of my sermons that we had in Sunday school. Um, the guy who was preaching, he was talking to us about the science and then also how religion and how science basically proves religion. Um, he was saying all of the big scientists that we know, like Sir Isaac Newton, Kelvin... Um, I can't name all of them. I think Einstein. Yeah. Einstein. They were all Christians, and I think it's because you can't, to think about the science of everything and to not think that everything that works together works together for no purpose or that there was no higher being who made it happen, mm -hmm. I just find that really hard to believe. Um, but your question was, how is our religion proven? Re taken over others and I mean I do know that other religions they they mention Jesus saying oh yeah he was a good guy oh yeah he existed um, 
but of course they don't believe in Jesus, so they wouldn't say anything that lifts him up, but he's also in some of the history books that we've read, but he's not in as well as, he's, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot, no, it's all good. Um, so we have, we have Jesus represented in the Islam faith, faith, um, and I think that what you were referencing, they, they call him essentially a good prophet. In fact, he's esteemed in the Islam faith. He's not God, he's not equal to God, um, but they would say he's esteemed. They actually revere Jesus. Um, and then in the Jewish faith, um, Judaism, I mean, you have Judaism primarily is looking at, um, <clears throat> does not recognize Jesus as Messiah as my, you know, basically my one sentence version of what Judaism is. Judaism is represented in the Old Testament, like obviously, but they, but they, 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 they would not ascribe Jesus to be the Messiah, you know, and so they've continued on with their Jewish faith, um, continuing on with, you know, with the, the things that they were given back then. But I think that, so, and you're going to have scientists that believe in Jesus, you're going to have scientists that don't believe in Jesus, right. because mm -hmm. they're going to look at the evidence, they're going to say, you know, one way or the other, this is how it, how it falls. And um, that's where I think, kind of like what you said, Gina, where you look at all of this, and I th this is not scientific as much, it, it kind of is. Um, you look at all the way everything's been created, the systems, the, the night, the day, the, the you know, the, the, the blood pumping through our veins, the fact that, you know, um, all of that, it's, it's, it's scientific, it's too big to call it like scientific, but I don't see all of that as, an accident and I don't see all of that as um, like a, a random um, chemical reaction or or anything like that that's 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 where I fall that's where I fall in the whole conversation um, and so that's one of the things that I remember initially pointed me to like man I don't know can I really look at everything that we have and it's not all of our achievements I mean all of our ach achievements I think pale in comparison to the fact that there's life on this planet, an intelligent life on this planet. And and the maybe that all of our achievements are a result and a fruit of kind of like, man, like God really gave us this intelligence and this system and this ability to live and breathe and relate and all of these things, but also create be in be in partnership and creation with him. Um, so that's where I land. Alright, so if we were to say, you know, hypothetically, we'll we'll say that God does exist, right? So if you if you go through the Bible, there's a lot of questionable things in it. Like, you know, I think Noah's Ark is such a common one that most people know. Mm -hmm. I, well, number one, the idea that he would fit, you know, what is it, two, a male and a female of every animal on the boat. Or, mm -hmm. you know, the idea that mm -hmm. he flooded the entire earth and killed all these people. Or even the, the story I find appalling, I you know, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you his name, but when he told the the man to sacrifice his son. Mm -hmm. like, Abraham. Yeah, yeah, I just find that insane. Yeah. I mean, why, yeah. why would I want to believe in that? Yeah, yeah, I hear that. Okay, so so let's let's look. We've got Noah, we've got Abraham. Um, we've got Noah in Genesis chapter 6 through 9 is that whole story. Um, so I'm in Exodus. That's not, no, I'm in Genesis. Okay. Um, sorry, it's kind of dark in here. Genesis chapter 6, we, we see uh, the very first thing. Um, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. They took as their wives many as they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide a man forever. He is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. 
Um, going further on, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 6. This is probably getting to the part where you're like, yep, this is pretty tough to read. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We're, we're led to understand that Noah um, lived kind of by the law of the Lord um, and all of that. So the way I understand this, and, and I think there's, there's different ways to interpret this. I think in our faith tradition, we're looking at this as a literal thing, and it is as terrible as you're saying. Um, and I think that our perspective on the whole thing would be like, um, let, let me just say this. This is like maybe a blanket statement, and maybe you'll think I'm awful after this, and you're, and you're welcome to do that because you'd probably get in line with a lot of people. Um, I think that in some level, on some level, there are things that God does that we don't, we can't possibly understand why that could be called good. And on some level, we've got to look at the fact that and we read in Scripture, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. And so if, if, if God is supreme and all-knowing and all-powerful, all-loving, in some ways that fits into kind of His nature and who He is. And when I look at how this story fits in with the whole, so Genesis to, to Revelation, the whole picture of what we have in the Bible, whole explanation of who God is, I see a picture of a God who who did create us. It starts in the Garden of Eden, right? It's this one rule, don't eat this fruit. Like I've given you this whole garden, just don't eat of this this one fruit. There's the, the, the disobedience, right? There's there's the, the serpent who tempts them. They fall to temptation, they eat the fruit, and then there's, there's this curse that happens. And that curse, what we would say in our faith tradition, um, is passed down generation to generation to generation, and the picture of people in the Bible after Genesis 3 is constant rebellion. And the picture of God is reaching out and saying, I'm giving you like a way, a guideline, like a, this is how I've created you. Um, in fact, one of the ways I think that, I, again, a blanket statement I put over like, how is it that we wrap our minds around what God has done? Um, I think he gives us these guidelines to live by and they, like, if God is is all-knowing and all-loving and all-powerful and He's created us, He's created us with purpose, and He wants us to live by that purpose, and when we rebel in that purpose, um, that we're not living kind of in His ways. That's why, that's why it comes off that Christians are judgmental and telling everyone how to live their lives, and I think a better story would be for us to say, like, we're not telling you how to live your life. We just find ourselves in this picture, in these guidelines, and how we should live um, do I understand why God would want to flood the earth? No. Other, outside of outside of knowing that he had a, a picture of what he wanted and that he had people rebelling, but he was going to start all over, I think it's an uncomfortable truth. <laughs> that's, that's where I land on it. Um, and that's where I think this podcast even is a, is a, maybe a healthy place for us to like, these are the things that differentiate us from maybe a, 
a different faith traditions or atheists or agnostics or all kinds of people. I look at this and I fit it inside of, of my understanding of God is he is all powerful and all loving and all knowing. And he was going to start out this new humanity through Noah's family line. And out of that, we get Abraham, we get Isaac, we get Jacob, we get David, we get Jesus down the road. And Jesus brings this full and final rescue. And that was just kind of the, as he works in our time um, and our timeline, he transcends it all. As he works through our timeline, he's given us like a way out. And the ark is, um, I think if I can, again, it's going to, I don't know, all of this is difficult, right? The ark is a picture of Jesus, I think. And you've got these people that are rebelling and saying, I don't want to live by these guidelines. And you've got an ark that has been given to rescue. And you've got Noah, who looks crazy for however long. I can't remember how long he built it, but it was a long time. Yeah, it was a long time. And uh, he's building it. He's looking crazy because, if I remember correctly, like the earth hadn't seen rain or something like that. I can't remember all the details. Um, They get in the boat. It starts raining, and then those who have placed their life kind of in God's guidelines are rescued, and the rest will be separated from God. And that's, I think, the picture happening there of of Jesus kind of being our ark. Sorry, I know that you had something to say. Okay, all right. I've I've just been, since you've been talking, I've just been thinking. Um, So I tried to, again, me thinking out loud, I'm going back to Adam and Eve and how... They were given the choice to eat the apple and... The fruit. The fruit. Sorry. <laughs> I always <laughs> I know, picture I know, an apple. I know, I, always I know. It's always an apple in the, the fruit. pictures. All right. Um, and if they hypothetically didn't, and then they had offspring, and one of the offspring eventually did eat the fruit, would one half of the population be good and the other half be bad? It's just like sometimes I've thought of that if that were a hypothetical situation. Right. So I'm thinking about a Noah's Ark that was sort of happening, how it was people who were aligning with God and then people who weren't, and he saw that. And so if you think hundreds of years in the future, if he didn't do this flooding of the earth, Mm -hmm. then how would some of humanity be? Because right now I think humanity kind of sucks. And that's just us after Noah's Ark, after this ourselves being saved and then growing up in these generations. So what would some of humanity be if he didn't try to rescue future generations um so you know here's the thing i feel like in this day and age there's so more so more opportunities to just be awful people mm-hmm. i don't know if i can believe back then they were worse because you know we have guns we can kill people we can kill people mm-hmm. with a lot more things mm-hmm. you know there's online we can bully you from anywhere i mean there's just so more opportunities to be awful mm-hmm. i mean back then i mean you couldn't call anyone, you know, call them up and say, hey, you're ugly or something. The peak of sin in this world. <laughs> you know? So I feel like it was harder to be awful people. I mean, if yeah. you, you're stabbing someone with a knife, I mean, you hurt one person. With a gun, right. you can kill hundreds in, yeah. in minutes. I just, I feel like if there were any time to flood the earth, it it should be now. Like, I yeah. just don't okay. know how bad they could mm-hmm. really been. Can I, can I say that I think that it is... Um, if we're just, if I'm pondering the goodness of God, so he promised, in fact, you've got Genesis 9, um, God's covenant with Noah. Um, 
God blesses Noah and his sons. Be fruitful and multiply. He's eventually... I need to know exactly when it was. But essentially, he, he makes a covenant with Noah. And he says, I'll never flood the earth again. I think it's a miracle that God made that covenant. I believe that if God makes a promise, he keeps it. Um, I think it's a miracle that he... And I... and I <laughs> Okay, so back up. I think that God promises something in his perfect nature won't break it but also knows he won't i think that that in itself is a miracle i think that's grace because you are right the more i don't watch the news very often because i can't handle it i i want to know what's going on in the world presidential race politic i want to know how to be a responsible human but man it's like we just had a, a police officer killed in houston this weekend you know, I and I don't know the whole story, but like you think about children dying of like I understand all of that. I feel like I'm giving you fodder. You know, like I and I know like we live in this world where, um, like we have trafficking, we have slavery still, and um, in some level, I am thankful that he hasn't fl- like I'm thankful that he hasn't just torpedoed us with a, a meteorite and said like I'm done. And I think in that sense, it lines up with God's grace and mercy because I sometimes place myself like, well, I would for sure be in the ark because I'm a Christian and I'm holy, but I also think that I'm just as bad. So is my behavior bad? Like, am I a murderer? Am I a bully? Am I a, a, like, am I involved? No, I'm not involved in any of those things. But I would also say that my heart is just as dark and has the potential for just as much ugliness as the person, you know, in jail for whatever. So my thing is, you know, God, if, you know, he's all known. He's all powerful. Well, every person he makes, he's designing every single DNA. You know, he, he should, he, I imagine if he's all knowing, he can foretell their exact actions. So he could create someone being, Oh, I know you're going to murder like 10 people. And he still lets them do it. Mm. If this guy's so good, then, then why is there all this awfulness in the world? Well, I think that if everything were perfect, then we would have no reason to have a God. So, in my opinion, the answer to that question is bad things are inevitable, and he gives us the free will to do what we do. And yes, he made all these individual people who he knows eventually would do what they did, but he didn't create them doing that action. It was them Mm -hmm. who did that action. Um, and I just think that we choose it. He doesn't choose it for us. And he still, uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> All right. So I, I've kind of thought about this. Like, let, let's say hypothetically, let's say hypothetically, I had my own universe and I was in control. I would make, you know, I, puppies and rainbows. Like it would be a good <laughs> place to live. Like I would make sure that everybody was happy. So my yeah. thing is. Why, why isn't this the reality? If someone could make all of us happy with the snap of his fingers, why, why wouldn't he do it? Yeah. I think one of the, one of the again, not answers, but just kind of my perspective, is that um, God gives us all free will. And there's a sense in which he doesn't force us, force anything on us. Um, and so, <clears throat> like, is it grace that I, because I did some pretty bad things in my life, um, like before I was a Christian, probably also after I was a Christian, definitely after I was a Christian. Um, and I'm thankful that I had choice in the matter and I'm thankful that he didn't give up on me. And so, so I don't, I don't want to overstep your question because does ugly stuff happen? Yes. 
um, I'm thankful that he gives us grace to respond because it could have been when I was a 16 year old. It could have been when I was a 76 year old. You know, I hear stories of people that have lived a long life, a long, awful life. And then in their last days have discovered kind of how good God is, how much Jesus loves them. And in that same moment, there's even a story in the Bible and in the gospels, Jesus is telling this story and He's saying, you got this one person that's been working all day long and they earned their, their denarii or whatever, this ancient, ancient like penny, basically. And then you got a guy who shows up at four o'clock, clocks out at five, and also gets a denarii. And all the other employees are like, what? That stinks. Like, he should get like an eighth of one and I should get a full one. And the story goes to say, basically, that Jesus is saying, like, no, they worked like they came in and, and, and it's not about work. It's not about anything. It's about, it's about salvation. It's about, you know, man, however you came to the gospel, however you came to the knowledge of God and how much he loves you, like everyone's welcome in the rapist, which is some of the awful, the most awful stuff that we see on this earth, the drug dealer, the trafficker and the liar. There's like, there's stories. There's, there's times that Jesus is listing sins. He's like, these things are against God. And he also includes like people that are disobedient to their parents. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I was feeling pretty good about myself. Murderer, uh, thief, liar, and all this kind of stuff. And then it's, it's all, this, and that's where he would say like all these sins are kind of on the same track. So we don't see that way. We don't see like, we see someone who's a murderer or a serial adulterer or a rapist. And we're like, Oh, that's like the 10 out of 10, like awful things you can do. Um, and that a little white lie here and there is like, yeah, well, it's bad, but it's not that it's not murder bad. Um, the way God looks on us all is that we're all in this even playing field and all of our kind of wrong. It's all, it's all in itself, like re equal rebellion against God. And, and he, I, th I don't think he sees it in like, well, this person's worse than the other person. And in, the, in, and in that sense, to answer your original question, kind of like, why wouldn't God create a better universe? <laughs> I think he did. And I think we chose rebellion. Like he created Eden. Now, did he know? Yeah. I think there's a lot in the Bible that can ex be explained in my point of view from God knew and was patient anyways. And why is he patient with the awful stuff happening? Like Zach spoke to that last last episode. He was sitting right here at my desk and we we're talking. Like Zach um, experienced miscarriages, which just seems like the most unfair thing in the world. Like what did I do to, ex you know, like I'm a pretty good guy. Like why did my baby die, you know? Um, like he lost his dad at a young age. Like what in the world? Like and he's here saying, I believe that God knew and that he was you know some would say powerful enough to stop it he didn't and that in all of that he's still good he's still sovereign and still has a plan for all of it now i don't walk into funerals and say like well you know god's good and he has a plan like i walk into funerals and I'm like i'm sorry i know it's hard and um i don't have explanations i don't have answers but in the middle of all of this mess, I do believe that God loves us. I do believe, and I believe he's weeping with us right there in that moment. Um, so why does he create a universe like that? I think he created a universe where he loves us. He provided us an opportunity. 
I think we continually choose rebellion. That's just kind of where I'm at. So I get that he loves us. And, you know, kind of what you're talking about. Every every sin's on the same, you know, level playing field. So if I went and I stole a dollar from my mom's purse or whatever, compared to someone who, you know, has raped and murdered people. I, sure. Can I really respect someone who's going to love a rapist or a murderer? I mean, that, that sounds kind of insane, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds insane, but I think that is a powerful love that we can't. So I was reading a book this morning. Um, that was talking about our pastor wrote this book was talking about um, Dylan Roof who murdered all those people in that church in Charleston a few years back Um, at his trial you have his family members lining up and forgiving Dylan who's emotionless he's not crying he's not remorseful he's you know and they're forgiving him which has to be like the most powerful human emotion possible in that moment like how can you forgive but there were parents who couldn't forgive them rightfully so and I think our pastor even wrote like I'm not judging that person for not forgiving like it's just expressing they're saying like I don't I don't know how to find forgiveness in my heart I think God's love for those who have done the most awful things in, this, in our in our perspective the most awful right is it insane us absolutely and that's why that's where like my devotion comes from because I believe that I'm that awful. Like I truly believe there's no, how do I say this and be, you know, not terrify everyone. Like I think the worst sins are inside of me. Like I think they're there. I think I'm capable of the, the most, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like I'm not there. I'm not walking that out, but I'm like, there's stories in, in the, in the, in the new Testament, in the, in the uh, sermon on the Mount where Jesus would say, um, see if I can get there. Um, he would say, anger. Jesus says, you have heard it said that those of old who sh- you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, right? We should all believe that. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And, and, and what he's saying there is essentially like, it's not just about what you walk out and do. It's about, like, if that stuff's in your head and your heart, like, you've done the same thing. You'd say the same thing about adultery. Like, you've said that if you cheat on your wife or you cheat on your spouse, whatever, um, that you're you're guilty. But if you look on a woman with, with lust, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. And what he's saying is that all of that is less about what you do with your, your hands and your feet. Like, going out and commit a crime, um, it's already inside of your, your heart. Like, all of us are in need of God equally. Um, all of us have a broken um, nature, a broken heart. We all have, like you're saying, we live in awful times. We see it on the news every night. Um, my response to that is, oh my goodness, and he loves me anyways. And I'm thankful. If I'm God, I don't know how I find it in myself to like love someone who's done some of the most awful stuff. But my heart says, oh my goodness, like, I'm no better than the person on death row. So that's my perspective on it. Um, Is it insane that he loves the rapist? Yes, it is. And I don't know what to do with it, but I'm thankful that he loves me too. Um, So that's kind of where I land on all that. I know, it's like, at some point, I know some of this stuff is like, you come down to, like, tiny little principles. For me... And I don't know about you, but my life is governed by all kinds of different laws, you know, and so it's not like I have a belief about this and a belief about this and a belief about, like I have this kind of overlying belief that informs 
kind of all these different things. And so if, if I sound like a broken record, that's probably why. It's because I've had this place where I believe God responded to me personally. Um, and I wanted, that's why I do what I do. That's why life is about what it's about. Like, I love being able to share with, with teenagers specifically and people all over the world, like what God has done in my life because I want people to experience that, totally understand that not everyone is there. Um, but that's kind of where I see, I see all of this as God reaching out to us. Um, there's a lot of tough stuff in the Bible for sure. Um, but I see all of it as God reaching out to us and, and just kind of, you know, reminding us how much he loves us in spite of how much we've 